Hey, Sam here. Before we get to the show, got to ask y'all a quick favor. If you have a few moments, please fill out a short anonymous survey over at npr.org slash podcast survey. You doing that, it's really good for us. It helps us figure out what you like and don't like about the show so we can make it better for y'all. And if you're a newish listener, we really want to hear from you. All this stuff makes a big difference. Trust me. Again, the survey, it's at npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. In this episode, we are bringing you an interview I did for another NPR show, Fresh Air. I got to fill in for Terry Gross and interview John Boyega a couple of months ago. So John won a Golden Globe this year for his performance in the anthology series Small Axe. In this series, John plays this black British police officer in the 1980s trying to change the force from within. Predictably, that is much harder than his character assumes. We talk about that performance, but we also dig into the role a lot of you first got to know him through, playing Finn in three Star Wars films. All right, here is our chat. Enjoy. A lot of you have probably seen John Boyega in a Star Wars movie, or two, or three. You don't know a thing about me, where I'm from, what I've seen. You don't know the First Order like I do. They'll slaughter us. We all need to run. Boyega played Finn in the Star Wars sequel trilogy films. The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker. And a recurring role in the Star Wars franchise, this is the stuff a lot of actors' dreams are made of. But after playing Finn, John Boyega said his time with Disney and Star Wars wasn't great. And that in some ways, he was treated differently, if not worse, than some of his co-stars, because he's black. Since then, Boyega has made speaking out about race a big part of his public persona. And he recently starred in a movie all about race and policing. It is called Red, White, and Blue, and it's just one part of an anthology series created and directed by Steve McQueen. That series is called Small Axe, A-X-E. In his film, Boyega plays a black West Indian police officer in London trying to change policing from inside the force. We talk about that. But first, we talk about how John grew up in a Pentecostal church and how that shaped the person he is today. So, John, I really want to begin, if you will allow it, by discussing something we both have in common. We were both raised Pentecostal church kids, which is for me a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I was in the I was in the I was in the system. How Pentecostal were you? Your dad was like a minister. Um, yeah, he had his own church, but our church was actually quite small uh, through the years. So, but it was a Pentecostal church, so a lot of charisma and and music. But we, we, I mean, we were never, you know, like you know, a TD Jakes kind of setup. It was just a relatively small church. So, my experience was quite localized, you know, in terms of you know, in comparison to everybody else who kind of like grew up in like a bigger church, whether it was medium size or a mega church. How long were y'all's church services? Ours would go for hours. Oh, man. There was like never a program. Thing. You just kind of like wait for the spirit. You just, as long as the spirit's moving. Exactly. You know, and, and for some reason, man, the spirit takes long all the time for some reason. The spirit, the spirit doesn't respect time. So we are going three, four hours sometimes, you know. 
and that's particularly hard on a Sunday because you know on Sunday most times you're fasting on a Sunday and so yeah you know food is the only thing you're thinking about by the time you get to certain prayers <laughs> So my mother was actually the church organist at our Pentecostal church growing up. So I had to be at every church service, which means that in the summer when school wasn't in session, I was at Tuesday night testimonial, Wednesday night midweek, Thursday night prayer service, Friday night church, and Sunday service. And then on the fifth Sundays, if the month had a fifth Sunday, there'd be a second service on Sunday evening. That's the only thing that I was happy about with the smaller Pentecostal church. You're not getting the the second service. Do you know what I mean? So it's like... (laughs) With that, you get to just have your Bible studies on on Tuesday, um, Wednesday. I think the cleaners will go in. Friday prayer service, Saturday, you know, um, choir practice, and you know all the ushers come in and all that kind of stuff. And then Sunday, you know, it's go time. So I actually made a lot of friends there, and you know, it is still a great source of spiritual motivation as well. But I had a nuance of moments there. I think as I was getting older, sometimes I got a bit bored. But that wasn't necessarily to do with spirituality but that was because you know culturally it was a nigerian pentecostal church and sometimes you know whether they're going into their native language or you know whether it's kind of like the subject matter doesn't really fall in line with a teenage you know a a uk teenage guy you know you're not necessarily thinking in the same kind of line as everyone else so so sometimes i'll just be like more detached you know i just think of movie trailers and stuff in my head while everybody else is praying Really? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Just think about, you know, because I was I was still involved in, in acting while I was going to church. Like I had to actually, because I played the drums for the choir. That's a serious responsibility. You were driving the music. Yeah, so yeah, I played the drums, my sister played the keys, and then my other sister would sing. And then we had like two other people in the choir, and that's how it'd be. So, you know, I would have to do, go through praise and worship, and then go to Theatre Peckham to go and like train and stuff, so... I finally figured out a balance between the two. But sometimes I was not interested, I can't lie. (laughs) (laughs) I used to, when I was really young, my mother would let me just take books to read during church. That's what you want, man. But, you know, nah, man, sometimes, you know, Nigerian parents will kick you in the trenches, man. They'll kick you into the deep waters and be like, (laughs) all of a sudden, everybody's speaking in tongues. It's like, wait, 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 I just got here. Like, how does this even work? How does this work? I also read that when you told your father that you wanted to act, he wanted you to become a minister, but he was okay with you acting? That's a cool dad, especially to be a pastor. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, I mean, that, my, dad, my dad never wanted me to be a minister. I don't know how that got about. But Uh-oh, sorry about that. <laughs> that was something that, that came out, I think, from, from one of maybe a theater director that misspoke or whatever. But my, my, my dad, it was more about stability for him. You know, what, what, what was, what's the stability and... I guess acting was a mystery, so they didn't understand it. So they would kind of like, it's kind of like when you have to take your kid to a, a, a game or some kind of hobby that you know absolutely nothing about. But it's kind of like, oh, cool, well, if, you, if it makes you happy and you seem like you're good at it, you know, let's just kind of go along with it. So my dad took me to my first ever audition. My dad came to watch my, um, my shows, at, even when I, right up until when I was at college. He came to my shows at Theatre Peckham and I guess they had to learn to understand what it even was like you know what does acting mean as a, as a career as a livelihood you know it's so interesting to hear you talk about how your relationship with your father and your parents is pretty good and they were pretty supportive because you're here to talk about your recent 
Steve McQueen film, which is about a very conflicted father-son relationship, a really tense one. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that in itself is also comes with the nuance of life. You've got to remember that when Leroy in Red, White and Blue, when he's a scientist, his father is fully behind it because there's a sense of stability and then there's a, a sense of a future. But when he changes his career or goes about certain things in a certain ways, you know, some, sometimes your, your, your parents, you know, they trip, you know. And I had those, those fair share of, of those kind of moments. So despite my parents supporting me most of the time, you know, there are still those moments where they are truly fearful for your stability. You know, how are you going to navigate the world if you're not, you know, on your own two feet? Because, you know, a parent's dream, right, is to raise a child so that they can be strong enough to go about life themselves, you know. And in that comes a bit of fear when you go into a job that can be quite hard and, and it's hard to level up and, and, and rise in, in, in the ranks. I guess that's something that we had to play on in, in Red, White and Blue. And, and that's something that I could, I could still pick on certain moments that, that related to that. So Red, White and Blue is the film that you're in. You play Leroy, this police officer. But the film is part of a several part series called Small Acts. How much of the plot of your film, Red, White and Blue, can you give to our listeners now? Well, you know, Red, White and Blue is about Leroy Logan, um, who starts off as a young scientist, um, but has a deep rooted connection with community and decides that he wants to join the police force, the Metropolitan Police in the UK, which at the time, unfortunately, wasn't the best time to join in the face of low numbers of, of especially black police officers. But in a time where there's tensions between the general public and, and, and the police, Leroy feels like he could be a black man who can go into the police force and change the institution from the inside out. Yeah, yeah. And and he is this black man in London, son of immigrants, who goes into the police force to try and fix it. I'm guessing that you accepted this role before last summer's summer of protest and George Floyd's death and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you think you would have thought differently about taking on this kind of role, a black man trying to fix the police force from within, had it been offered to you after George Floyd's death? Uh, No, definitely not. I think um, with me and acting, I have quite an organic um, relationship with acting and art that I don't allow the world to dictate. We're here to tell the stories of the untold sometimes. We're here to tell stories from a different perspective. And you don't always need to fall in line with the opinions and direct decisions of the characters that you play. You know, hence why, you know, it's called acting. There's traveling to do because you're not playing you. And I'm really a big fan of, of, of that stretch and of getting into the minds of people that, you know, that doesn't necessarily 100% align with me. So I would have been 100% behind that, you know, to play a police officer who's uh, conflicted because, you know, when you say, you know, Black Lives Matter, it means, you know, the black individuals who are also officers. Leroy is a real person, a real black man in the UK who joined the force. You talked with him in putting this movie together. In the movie, you playing Leroy, he experiences a lot of negativity once he joins the police force. Some of his white officers ostracize him at one point. They write the N-word on his locker. Black people in the community call him a coconut and think that he's a sellout. Even at one point, Leroy's father 
questions why he became a police officer because his dad had a bad run-in with police officers. Was it actually that bad for Leroy when you talked with him? Yeah, he spoke He spoke about that. Um, and in some respects, it actually got a bit, a bit worse because, you know, there's only so much you can, you can show about somebody's journey that lasts well over a decade. There's so much that goes down that you can't fit into this kind of format. But what we showed was, in fact, the essence of what he went through, but in its nuance on a day-to-day was quite stressful. You know, maybe you can handle the off kind of comment, you know, once every six months, you know. You can handle the off kind of, like, obstacle once every six months. But for someone like Leroy, it was handling that on a day-to-day basis as he patrols the streets, you know, as he goes into, you know, the black communities. And then when he, you know, was going into the white communities, you know, building that bridge as he said is is a really hard position um and and i think he went through it man he really really did well because he stayed in the force for decades right yeah he did yeah you know this film is also about assimilation and whether it can ever really happen you know your character leroy is the son of immigrants in the uk he joins the police force excels and still ends up being ostracized as we said, his own father has a problem with his son being a police officer. And there's this scene where the two of them kind of get into it, where Leroy says, I'm doing what y'all told me to do. This is what you taught me to do. And then you, as Leroy, you yell to your dad, you wanted us to be more British than the British. Isn't that what you taught us? Isn't that what you drilled into us? Study every hour, God said. Don't leave the house or mix with the black kids. Educate ourselves at the expense of our lives. You made us feel like we could be a part of everything. You wanted us more British than the British. At least this way, Dad, I can change things. Seriously, what do you think I am? That stung. Because I think for so many black people across the world, we are told that if we in some way perform the right version of us, it will be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're going to... You're going to get the uh, more opportunities. Uh, you're going to rise faster. And, you know, it's a stressful existence for people to keep, especially after a long amount of time. Has playing this role made you think differently or reflect on assimilation and you and how assimilated you think you are, John Boyega? I don't know. I don't know. It, it made it, I think for the most part, this role made me think about my relationship with my dad i think that was like for me the most fundamental thing that was kind of like the beating heart of of leroy's um journey and of his change tell me more well it's because you know when, when we when myself and and steven to and um steve mcqueen would speak on set we would speak about our relationship with our fathers what happens to those you know dynamics you know what happens when you decide to make that life-changing choice and then you you want your father's blessing right before you go and conquer the world you know every guy has that kind of feeling of 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 wanting their dad to give him that kind of support as they move forward you know what happens when you don't get that and in a sense have to earn that as you kind of like grow and go along what does steve say about all this stuff what stuck with you the most from what he told you steve's fixation to me was on what art is like he, he always made a statement of saying remember you're an artist you're an artist you're an artist and that always spoke to me because he was kind of giving me that that balance in which you know sometimes your 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 talent and and yes what makes you financially stable what makes you known by people but sometimes you know that art can be used for some form of 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 good and him kind of putting such an emphasis on being an artist 
gives me a, a different definition than wanting to be a movie star or, um, you know, being an artist for me makes me feel like I can still tell stories, but then at the same time I can help people I can and, and not be seen as, you know, trying to do it for any other reason than, than to take a leaf out of my own book in a sense that I went through some stuff and someone helped me. I just would really appreciate that if I could be like that in someone else's story. Coming up, John Boyega on what it's like to be black in the Star Wars franchise. An internal investigation found that a cop with the California Highway Patrol sexually harassed 21 women. But those findings were kept secret until a new state transparency law passed. We dug through hours of tapes to find out what happens to officers who cross the line. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. It's interesting to hear you talk about Steve McQueen telling you to, you know, be an artist because for a lot of people over the last few months, you became an activist. Uh, You've been rather outspoken on issues of race in Hollywood recently. You know, first, last summer, you gave a speech at a Justice for Black Lives rally. I want to thank every single one of you for coming out. This is very important. This is very vital. Black lives have always mattered. We have always been important. We have always meant something. We have always succeeded, regardless. And now is the time. I ain't waiting. I ain't waiting. I have been born in this country. I'm 28 years old, born and raised in London. And for time, every black person understands and realizes the first time you are reminded that you are black. You remember, every black person in here remembers when another person reminded you that you were black. And after that, you also gave an interview in GQ and, you know, basically made the point that some of the racism doesn't just exist in policing. You know, you talked about how your character in the Star Wars films that you were featured in was marginalized, given less of a plot, less character development, probably because that character was black. This became a big deal. But, you know, when I read that GQ article where you said what you said, I couldn't tell if you wanted it to become a big deal or not. What did you want to come out of those comments? Well, I think I wanted to discuss the elephant in the room that is easily dismissed sometimes, easily seen as a selfish act, a way to put the attention on you. I wanted to discuss an issue that I discussed with actors on set an issue that I had discussed with, you know, professional individuals, you know, execs, producers, who I'd meet, whether at award shows or, or meetings, who were noticing the same things I'd noticed. You know, I I tell the story of, of walking in a park and someone random, and this is somebody that was not even in industry basis, he just recognised me. And, you know, he, he even mentioned kind of like seeing the, the change in tra- trajectory in, in my character and just all the stuff that I mentioned in that GQ article, you know, at the time. And I guess I just wanted to say it out loud so that it wouldn't be an awkward conversation to have. Because I think in general, what I realized after all of this is that in general, I think human beings assume the worst. So as soon as you open up about something like that, people assume that you're doing it for the worst reasons, right? Doing it for yourself and, you know, you just want everything on you and whatever. Uh, But they forget that there's a big process, and especially when it comes to studio films and and characters. The characters are only as good as the moments that you give them. When we talk about, you know, Captain America and him kind of facing off Thanos and his his army, 
when you talk about these moments that are given to characters, it's only because these moments are written by somebody. These moments are put in there on purpose to elevate characters. We've got people now watching uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and a lot of people have been commenting about the elevation of Falcon's character, right, in this series, and how they've really done done well with, with, with bringing them up, which I also agree as well, you know, and, and we can see there is that's because you give characters these special moments, you know, but then what, what then happens when, you know, some, some moments feels like you're being bypassed and it kind of goes for years and years and things pile on. Remember, there were so many different issues with the Chinese poster and, you know, the crescendo of that. We should say what that was for listeners. Yeah, in, in China, the, you know, my, my, my image was kind of like <laughs> minimized and, and in some posters completely taken off for the, for the Chinese version of, of Stoll's Force Awakens. So you were smaller than the white actors on the poster if you were there at all. How did that feel? I, um, at the time, I was just, you know, I, I've spoken about it before, I've spoken about it many times. And, I, you know, I just was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm in the movie, like, you know, much like what I said when I had to respond and i guess a lot of people forget that at the time i was the i was the only you know i'm not the only black guy on the, on the cast um yeah and a black stormtrooper at that it's a big deal right yeah and like everybody else is getting announced and there's no there's no people saying that they they want to boycott the movie there's no weird messages i'm not you know people are not you know calling you all types of names you know so the the experience in itself becomes quite unique for you right but as you go along and all these issues pile on top, you know, I just thought it was, you know, quite important to say something. So it's not an elephant in the room. And I, and I think that, you know, more conversations have, have even been, been bubbling with other actors now in, in, in different, you know, projects and franchises. And, and they just, you know, things that they noticed as well. And, you know, it's, it's a conversation worth having, to be honest. You think it's getting better? From the time you made those comments about Star Wars to now, do you think there's been progress made? There's so much discussion around visibility and representation in the industry. I've seen some amazing shows. I'm seeing some amazing creatives growing. Uh, but as I even grow in my own education, I'm, I'm starting to look behind the scenes. You know, I'm starting to look about these these teams and, and sometimes the streaming platforms that could sometimes play into the diverse game just through acquiring projects like, you know, is the diversity coming from the decision makers on your team, you know, the execs, the producers, or is it coming through you acquiring, you know, black projects and just buying them? Which is preferred. Is it better when these big studios acquire, you know, content of color from creators of color, or should they do a better job of just integrating that stuff into their entire structures? I think, I think, yeah, I think they absolutely, absolutely need to integrate that into, um, into their structure. And we're already seeing that happening, right, on, 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 some, on some fronts. You, you gain more perspective when you hire the individuals um, on ground who kind of give birth to these ideas, uh, who also, you know, kind of are, are thinking pots for what's next, what entertains us, you know. And I feel like you're getting to a point now where a lot more people are interested in entertainment, you know, there is also a responsibility to uh, gain access to these people and, and, and try to, you know, change the actual structure so that you don't need to, you don't need to scramble and be like, we need more black movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Stop scrambling, man. <laughs> try and try and get the structure, you know, um, organic in a sense. Well, and then it then it raises another question how do you make it? And like, I don't know, I think a lot 
instead of saying like, how do we make Hollywood work better for people of color? It's like Hollywood was not created for people of color. Hollywood was created <laughs> for white people, by white people, with the whims of white people. I'm just, just saying what it is. And maybe there's a moment to imagine something different and new. And I don't know. Do you think the industry is going that way? Like just saying, well, how do we how do we make something new? Um, I, yeah, but I've been brainstorming that myself. As you know, I, I set up my own production company a good few years ago um, in light of kind of like, and this is even uh, before the, the protests or any kind of uh, any kind of things like that. I just set up um, to gain my, my my independence and to be a part of the the creative you know process and just to see the way that in which the industry is changing collaborations that are being had and you know there's a lot of change you know here and there from but for me it, it it does come down to that fundamental question and statement and it's something that i've been brainstorming you know taking apart putting back together i recently listened to a tyler perry speech we spoke about ownership and that in itself makes you go oh damn like you're just like okay okay what like what is being said now you know about what we're doing because I, I truly believe that when you when you give us a chance to tell our stories and give us the quality I feel the industry will change forever and it's continuously it's continuously doing that but I guess you know I don't feel like behind the scenes we're completely at the forefront of those discoveries and, and kind of projects at, you know all the time you know and shouts out to production companies like macro you know about charles king like you know what they just did with judas and the black messiah man like these guys are kind of like they have that vision i think recently he said that you know if you think about universal and disney that's what he's looking to aim towards and for me that's what i'm talking about right there i mean, i need the guy on the top to be able to be black enough to make some decisions okay, <laughs> okay. I'm yeah bundle these filters now man and also, like, look at what we've done, man. We've got to remember, man, like, come on, guys, man. Look at what we've done, man, when we saw our people in Wakanda. and we're, Look at what we've done with those numbers, you know, not to say it was just us, but look at where we poured into that just in a, in a celebratory sense, in terms of our passion. Like, we are, the, we are an amazing fan base, um, but it will be great oh, yeah. well, to see awesome. that, you know, come to us as well. And also what Black Panther proved was that all kinds of people will watch black people on a screen. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I, I feel like a lot of people sometimes are just like, you know what, man, I just wanted to see something with, with, with quality, you know, with, with great effects, with great scope, something that shows that somebody invested into it. Because we have to think about just the basic, you know, the, the characteristic of investment. There's an interest there, right? It's a, it's a love for it. You, you know that it's going to grow into something that's going to benefit you, you know. And take away all the business and the politics that essentially starts from a feeling from when you hear about the projects right from when you pitch the project and you know for some reason man the feeling is 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 kind of scarce <laughs> and now we want to double up on that feeling well and it's it's just like it's so common sense i'm sure you can relate to this as a black kid growing up watching all kinds of tv and movies I watched a lot of white TV and a lot of white movies because it was around. Yeah, because they, they were, yeah. And, and I liked and it. And some was good. And it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Some, and so some if dope I can ass watch white characters, man. <laughs> Ain't no yes. problem. If I can watch white people right, on a screen, right. I'm willing to venture white people for the I'm I'm I'm, I'm out here too. watching these shows. I'm rooting for these white people. I'm crying when certain white characters get killed. You can do it too. <laughs> I watched Friends. Right. I watched like six seasons of Friends, John. Come on. Right. Oh, facts. Coming up, what do Star Wars and the police have in common? What was John Boyega's experience with the police as a young black kid? Well, as a young black kid, I mean, I didn't really see them growing up in, in a sense of like, they weren't at my door, but I saw them in my environment. You know, my mom and dad had us going to church and... You know, we were always just really busy with being involved in the church environment. And then, you know, I found acting. Um, but I guess when I started going to secondary school, um, and especially in Peckham, at the height of, of, of knife crime and, you know, several things going on, I just saw them as kind of like they were aliens to me in a sense. Like they were so distant to my experience and to my world. In fact, the first time I actually had the... Um, I met the police was um, unfortunately when one of my friends was murdered um, and because me and my sister was one of the last people to see him, they came to our house to, to check if we saw anything and obviously he was Nigerian and being part of the Nigerian community, that's the first time I saw that uniform in my living room. What was your reaction as a kid in that moment? What were you feeling? Well, I was scared for, you know, for, for my friend. I was scared for my friend. I was scared for his situation because we just left him. You know what I mean? So it's like you know for us it was just like the safety and they're they, they're the police they're the only there was the only ones um with with the information i guess as it as as we as it got along and you know things started to get more intense um you know i did you know you go through situations where you, there's a stop and search um and for me that was irritating because sometimes you just be with your friends and then maybe if you're at the bus stop and something's happened in Woolworth road and you're at elephant and castle you know they're, they're stopping every guy, like every young guy that's there. So like you're going through a situation where you're getting lined up, you know, in front of the streets and then other buses are packed on the top and the bottom and there's aunties and uncles and I don't know who's going to see me from church, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, they're seeing you getting stopped and searched. You know how people, what they assume that, you know, sometimes that that's all the bad boys and all this kind of stuff, you know. Sometimes for me, it just wasn't really comfortable and... You know, living in a, in a flat in a council estate, you know, you're living closely, you know, with strangers. Um, some strangers you get to know, some strangers you have conflicts with. And, you know, we, we went through so much stuff, you know, living there and, and, and in our relation to the police. And then sometimes it was good. And sometimes, you know, you had individuals that was just, they was bad and, and, and really dismissive and, and sometimes even rude. Um, and so for me, you know, my relation with the police is, is, is has been mixed based on, the officers that I've you know, huh. come across. Yeah. Um, but then in, in close relations to people I love, who are also in my environment, it's not great. Was there ever a time when you thought about being a police officer yourself? Hell, f- no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Me, I want to make money and change my family's life. <laughs> nah, no. Okay. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, you know, we, we learned from the film that you look good in uniform. I, I mean, you know what I mean. I, I, I know how to fill the shoes, man. Do you know what I mean? But but that's why the acting comes in. That that doesn't it. 
Okay. Understood. Yeah, Understood. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, honestly, I, I, I commend anybody that goes into that job, bro, because I couldn't personally do it. You know, these are two different conversations. You last summer speaking about racism in policing versus you last fall speaking out about racism in the film industry and in the Star Wars franchise. Seems like two different things, but the more that I thought about it, it kind of feels pretty similar. Like, I don't know. I kind of imagine in some ways Star Wars feels like the police force of the movie industry. It is ubiquitous. It is iconic. It is larger than life. There's a mythology around it. There's a legion of supporters who would do almost anything it seems to uphold that brand. It feels as if like both are these behemoths that are hard to tackle. I mean, yeah, I mean, Star Wars comes with a challenge, but I always took it on the chin. I mean, you have to understand that sometimes when people heard what I said, they'd be like, you know, oh man, just shut the hell up, dude. Like you're making all this money. Um, and you're, you're in this position, a lot of people don't get that opportunity. But, you know, I'm not going to he- sit here and lie to you and say that when I started industry, I-, I had everything figured out. Like, one day you're in your flight in Peckham, next day, you know, you're making millies working on red carpets. Like, that's a transition. You know, I don't want to boo-hoo it, but it's a, it's a bloody experience. But then what then happens when you go into a space and you see that there's further elevation? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? You see that there's, you go in there thinking that, you know, the hamburger and fries that you got was was the best you're gonna ever get. Not knowing that there's other people in there getting <laughs> a little side of bacon, and, getting a steak, you know, down the table, thrown in there, and you know, and you know, it's not until those kind of things you know happen, you're like, I don't want to sound complacent, but shouldn't <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think those conversations too should be had. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad at the time I, I, I was I was able to to say something about it. And then also when that conversation is, is now out there, I've spoken to actors who have said now, now we can make a reference, bro. You don't understand. Now we can have a discussion with a director. I see that, like, bro, like I would, I would like more of a backbone in this. I feel like my character will make more of a stronger decision. I feel like I, you know, do you know what I mean? Now we can have So they're that. quoting you when they're asking for more. But now it's a reference now. Cool. You can say, well, but, but it was also yeah, kind of that's like- that's pretty cool though. You know, I mean, it must feel nice. It, it feels good, you know, to get that, you know, because there's now a reference, you know, they just go, okay, cool. You know, well, you know, remember that we read the John Boyega situation and to know that I'm kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe you know, it, it can be used as, as, as a, a nice kind of jump off for, for other conversations that are now, are now going on. Thanks again to John Boyega. He stars in Red, White and Blue. That's part of the anthology series Small Acts, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Also, listeners, as I mentioned earlier, we want to know how we are doing making this show. What do you like? What do you not like? What keeps you coming back? What makes you turn us off? You can tell us all of this by taking a short, anonymous survey. It is at npr.org slash podcast survey. Again, npr.org slash podcast survey. It really helps us out. This interview that you just heard, it first aired on Fresh Air, and it was produced and edited by Anne-Marie Baldonado and Seth Kelly. Additional help came from Andrea Gutierrez and Jordana Hochman. All right, listeners, take care of yourselves. Till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. <laughs>